You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, good morning. It's Wednesday, June 3rd. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. We've had so much happen in the last few days that we haven't had a chance to share with you guys the interview I did the other day with 24-7 Sports National college football writer Brandon Marcello, who wrote just a totally authoritative, all-encompassing piece on how players and college programs across the country are preparing for and handling the return to, to normalcy during the coronavirus pandemic. The story is titled, It Can't Just Be Lip Service. Protocols vary as players return. We were supposed to run this last Friday, and then JT Daniels commits to Georgia. We were going to then run it Monday, but we obviously needed to take an episode to talk about George Floyd and what it meant for college football. And then yesterday, on Tuesday, we were going to run it then, and Justin Ross, Clemson star receiver, is declared out for the season. So finally... We are getting to the interview. A few things have changed since Brandon and I spoke, and and nothing huge, but again, it's a few days later. So we're pretty close to a June 8th return, which is what many colleges are going by. Saw that the Pac-12 commissioner, Larry Scott, in an exclusive social distance interview with Brandon Marcello, said that the Pac-12 will require testing for all returning players, not just the ones showing symptoms. We've had a Nebraska player test positive for COVID-19, they were quarantined and we haven't heard anything since, which I guess is good news. And and generally we've had we've seen players across college football return to their campuses. We've the flights have been booked and and embarked on. Kids are back. They're doing their one week self-quarantine and they're ready to return to action. What will that mean? What will that look like? Brandon Marcello is gonna have a lot of answers. All right, bringing in Brandon Marcello now. Brandon, how's it going? Good, good. End of the week. It's always good. I know. I love it. Can't wait. So as colleges across the country now prepare for a, a slow trickle of returning players this month and then uh, a few others in July, you've been having conversations with plenty of officials about how that's going to look, how people are going to stay safe. And, and what have you learned from your conversations, Brandon? Well, it's interesting to me that the uh, uh, the response and the preparation for this uh, differs uh, mightily uh, among conferences, individual schools, even within those own conferences. And, um, you know, you would think uh, the number one thing that I've learned from this is you would think that some of these bigger schools would be like, hey, we're going to do testing as soon as the players arrive on campus. We're going to do testing every few days or once a week, uh, even because the this virus obviously um, doesn't provide symptoms to everybody who's infected. Some are asymptomatic and they can still spread the virus. Well, what I have found is that a lot of big schools are not going to test students, student athletes, when they return to campus. They're only going to test them if they're coming from hot spots or if they're already showing symptoms. And what constitutes a hotspot? Well, the CDC right now uh, is only listing four places in the country as a hotspot. New Orleans, New Jersey, 
uh, in New York um, among the top three right now. So what's also interesting about this, I mentioned the smaller schools differing from the bigger schools, but the smaller schools seem to be taking a more of a measured approach with this. I spoke to uh, the folks at Wyoming, which are among the was among the first schools to announce, hey, we're going to allow student athletes back on our campus starting June 1st. Well, they're going to test every single student athlete that returns to campus when they get there. Um, and they, and they have to quarantine no matter what for, for 14 days before they start any physical activity on campus. And even after that, there's going to be a limited number of people allowed in the weight room and everything, which is pretty, uh, standard across all these schools I've spoken to. But what's interesting, but the most interesting thing to me is that these smaller schools are taking more of a conservative approach while the bigger schools, which have the money to spend on testing and things like that, are more or less just kind of going, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. Well, I was going to say it can't be a money thing because the big schools are doing it. Why do you think they're not testing the way smaller schools might? I think some of it has to do with location. I, I'm sure, you know, some of these schools and and the and where the players are coming back home from home their homes uh not necessarily anywhere near um hot spots but that doesn't explain to me like wyoming because wyoming <laughs> it, there's not a lot of people there one and two that there's not a lot of people infected there and a lot of the students coming back are not necessarily coming from hot spots either and i i talked to wyoming about that like you know this could be a money issue for you guys because of testing. Uh, this isn't, you know, tests that are like $10. These are a hundred bucks plus or more, which doesn't sound like much for one person, but you spread that over 400, 500 student athletes and you do it multiple times. And then you get into a season and might have to do it more and more often that adds up. We're talking millions of dollars potentially just with testing and protocols that they're following. And yet the, a small school like Wyoming is willing to do it to protect their student athletes. Whereas some of these bigger schools, like take Arkansas, for example, uh, their athletics director said on Wednesday, Hey, we're not testing anybody that comes to campus to report to campus unless they're showing symptoms or they're from one of those hot spots. Um, there will be no routine testing as far as once every week or once every two or three weeks. Also, their plan right now is is that if the season starts and if there is a football season, which is looking more and more likely, that they will not do temperature checks on fans when they come in like a lot of folks have talked about. And one of the explanations for that was, you know, was if, if someone's walking several hundred yards in the heat in September, they don't think it would be a good idea to try and measure their temperature when they're in the heat that long, which I found interesting but I'm not a doctor. Um, I guess what we're going to see is just, this is going to be a situation where you're going to have outbreaks on certain campuses. I mean, listen, Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby has said that. These athletic directors believe that too. And they're going to have to adjust on the fly. Uh, they're taking the best approaches they believe to start this thing. And then they're going to have to adjust from there. I mean, Arkansas has got a four-phase plan as far as allowing a certain amount of players back. So does Wyoming. Wyoming's 
uh, phase plan is seven phases. Louisville, for example, I think has three phases. But every single person I've talked to at all these campuses have said, listen, we have to reach a certain amount, amount of clarity and assurance that when we get to the end of phase one, that we can do phase two just as safely. If not, they will adjust. They might delay phase two. They might not even get to phase two, or they might start phase two a little bit later. But I think a lot of these folks are following CDC guidelines, of course, and their local and state officials. So you're going to see a wide range of, of how they go about doing all this. I mean, for example, Oklahoma, as we all know, they're not going to report to campus till late, later than most in July, early July. Um, you might see some schools just wait until preseason camp starts, and not in the big conferences, but some of the group of five schools um, to potentially save money with the testing. Um, this is a financial issue, and Wyoming's associate AD even told me, he goes, listen, everyone will try to dodge that question about this not being a financial issue, but it is a financial issue because they're talking about it every day. How much is this all going to cost? And the schools that are going to be best equipped for this are the ones that one, obviously have a great plan, but two, also the schools that are affiliated with a medical system and have their own hospital uh, on campus or near campus. Um, A lot of those schools are very well prepared for this and also have the facilities to test and also the staff to help with the testing. And those are the, I mean, the schools are going to be the best prepared for all of this. The, are there any schools out there? Like when, when we talk about the costs of not playing football versus the costs of playing football and, but maybe playing football without fans in the stands and how for some programs that that's not really that much of a win. Is there a point where the, the, the cost of, doing all this of the testing and of and of the staffing and everything else is there a point where some programs might just say we this is not worth it i i don't know i don't know if we've gotten to that point and to be quite honest, i mean as far as like group of five schools even i don't think anybody's really sitting there going should we not try to play a football season i think they're going to try no matter not no matter what but Within reasonable, uh, you know, I guess a, a reasonable approach, there's money to be made with a football season, no matter what the uh, situation is. Um, also, to take a a year off or potentially just say, hey, we're going to get rid of the football program because we don't want to spend the money for this year or lose the money for this year. You're affecting things, you know, five, 10 years down the road. You're not just affecting things in the short term as far as obviously with, with potentially losing money for one year. But I, I think that would be dangerous unless you know, hey, we can't afford football five years from now in addition to these next two years. I don't see anybody doing that. Got it. Yeah, the the, the testing to kind of go back to it, I, I thought, Brandon, that the rollout of a return to football leaned heavily on testing. And I thought yeah. that that testing several times a week, each guy would it would be what allows us to have organized college ath- athletics this fall, as opposed to this spring when, when basketball and baseball were canceled because there wasn't any testing infrastructure and the various uh, other things. So it will be interesting 
to see if that changes. And, and I think some people, the jaded ones out there would say, well, maybe they don't, they don't want to test because are you worried about having setbacks? I have no idea. So we'll move on though. What, what else outside of testing are, are people saying uh, as far as needing to do or get in, get in order before players return? Do they know how they choose which players return first? Are, are dorms set up and ready to go? Will there, will they be wearing masks? Will, like, what does the sanitation look like? There are so many different ways to take this convo. So I'm just going to kind of let you run with the most interesting one. Yeah, you know, the 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 first off, the first thing that pops in people's heads when they think about all this is social distancing and then also masks. Well, everybody I've talked to, there's going to be obviously some guide guidance for that. Um, players, only a certain amount of players in the weight room at a time. Uh, they all have to be spaced out. Um, they're going to be required, a lot of these schools I've spoken to, they're going to be required to wear masks entering and leaving the building. Um Obviously, they're not going to be able to probably wear those masks while they're working out, but I haven't heard anybody say, hey, they're not going to not wear them. Um, you know, and you sp- I wanted to get back quickly. You spoke a little bit about uh, testing and the costs of it. I think the, the thing that needs to be mentioned here also is that everybody I talk to has hope that there will be better testing and potentially cheaper testing down the road, say in August, when they get to like a preseason camp situation. And the big hope there is that they'll be able to utilize more of the saliva tests because right now the, the most reliable tests are the, are the swabs in the nose, which is uncomfortable to say the least. And you got to be trained very well to be able to do those tests. The saliva tests actually, you know, obviously not as invasive and but they're not very accurate at the moment. And everybody I've spoken to hopes that those become more accurate as they go along. They become more more readily available, and they'll be able to to you know maybe save some money in doing so and get a quicker turnaround as well when they test these folks. Um, but you talk about like you know we thought this was such a huge deal, like off, testing often and everything. I think that's what the difference is between professional sports's approach. To college sports, professional sports, obviously it's a business and so is college football in a lot of ways, but with professional sports, it is much easier to kind of not necessarily control your players, but it's a limited number of players. It's a smaller group. You can make sure they're in one city all at the same time. You can probably afford and have better access to testing and different things of that sort. But the most important thing is this. The NFL, the NBA, the NHL, they will put in guidelines that are universal, that must be followed by every school. The NCAA is just not going to do that. The conferences are going to come up with their own things, and then those will only be guidelines for them, and then individual schools will change things as they go along too, but also they're going to do their own thing. As I mentioned, some are testing when students return, some are not. So it's going to be a wide variety of situations that they believe best fits their, their region and their local and state guidelines. And um, we're just going to have to sit and watch and, and see this out, how this all develops school by school. The College Football Daily will be right back. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. It's it's hard to wrap your mind around it, but it does seem like they are doing whatever they need to do to get football season back. I mean, this Brandon, when we talk about it, it just feels it's just what you have to do right now. Right. It's, it seems like it's so much to, to, to roll out all these testing procedures and to do the testing and get the results and enforce the results. Right. And and enforce the quarantines and all the workouts. It's just, it's almost unbelievable. Um, what else are you hearing out there as far as not hurdles, maybe hurdles, but just what what's happening as players return? Well, you know, it's just the idea of, you know, are some of these players, you know, infected and they haven't shown symptoms and we're talking to them every day, but they haven't shown symptoms. And they just don't know they have it. But the big thing here is to not to keep in mind, as we all know, is that they, they, these players are in a low risk category as far as the mortality rate, as we all know, everybody's really, you know, focused on that, the fatality rate. But I think the issue here obviously is protecting the others in the community because the players are, the student athletes are part of the community and also the coaches, the coaches are in that at risk category. A lot of them are, they're in their fifties and their sixties or, or higher. Um, but during this voluntary workout time, the coaches aren't really going to be around them. Um, they might be in the same facilities and everything and going around, but a lot of these places, they're going to be sanitizing things like crazy. And that's going to cost a lot of money too. sanitizing these facilities over and over and over again, you know, uh, sometimes by the hour, uh, in some cases from talking to people. Um, it, it's going to be a heavy workload for a lot of people. And I think that you know, what other people don't realize is behind the scenes, I've talked to administrators and team team doctors who say they are working more hours right now than they are at the busiest point of any football season. And they never expected that even when this pandemic first started, because they remember when the pandemic first started, it was kind of like, well, let's educate the kids how to be safe. And then we just got to stay inside. <laughs> now it's, oh, we've got to face this thing head on. How do we do testing? How do we get this all lined up? everything's logistics and 
I, I think it's just like I keep saying it, it's going to differ school by school. And I think what everybody needs to do is we're very quick to judge people and schools based off what they're doing. Cause like, like Arkansas, I was tweeting out some of the things they were saying and man, I had a lot of people going, Oh my God, what are they doing? They're so stupid. But Arkansas is in a different situation geographically and where they're located than say Rutgers, you know, yeah. where they're in one of the hot spots or even in the somewhere else in the Midwest. So everybody's going to handle this differently and whichever school has the most success and, and those schools come say late July and August, you'll see people kind of adopting their plan and stealing their game plan, so to speak, as they go along. Because listen, this is a giant experiment as Dr. Michael Sag of UAB told me, an infectious disease expert. And no one wants to hear that, but this whole thing's new to everybody, everybody, including the doctors. And really we're all in this giant experiment trying to figure out the best way to navigate all this. And these schools are no different as they welcome these players back. What sort of things will you be looking for once these returns begin to happen over the next month and a half as we track toward an on-time college football season? What sort of things are you looking for that could potentially delay that? Well, number one, I want to see how transparent the schools are about players being infected because you get into a whole situation with HIPAA laws and everything about do you disclose players being sick? Do you say how many players are sick, if any are? You know, obviously, if you're having a good time of handling the situation and you know players are sick, you want to say that. But what if you have a mini outbreak of some sort? How's that go about? Um, I think what will be interesting as far as the season starting on time is it's going to be – I think it's still going to be a regional situation. Um, the, the SEC is going to be on its own. I think the Pac-12 is going to be on its own, the ACC, uh, et cetera. Can – the 14 SEC schools, can the 12 Pac-12 schools, can the 10 Big 12 schools stay in line with each other and adapt and adjust as they go along so that they make sure their seasons start on time, at least from the standpoint of the 14 teams in the SEC and not worry about the other teams in the Pac-12. Obviously, there's going to be situations where with non-conference games, especially early in the season, you might have to rethink of, are we going to travel to Dallas for Alabama and USC? Are we going to do that? Are we going to see that? Or is there a potential, as has been rumored, that maybe Alabama instead has a backup plan and plays TCU? There's going to be a lot of things that are adjust on the fly. But the goal right now, the only thing that these the people can somewhat, uh, these administrators can somewhat control, is aiming for an on-time start to the season and that all comes down to testing, quarantining, sanitization of their facilities and keeping everybody healthy when they are on campus. Because if they do not do a good job of that, then you get into the whole thing where are they going to be able to play a week one game or a week four game? The, the concentration now is everybody's dancing around. They're adjusting to this thing and they will continue to do so once the players get on campus to make sure that they have a season that starts on time. But I think it's still going to be regional by region decisions. I think the, the, the week of return is super interesting to me. And for the SEC, you know, I'm looking at your article right now, Brandon, your college football return dates on 24 seven sports, sort of this hub for it, like that June 8th date. I, I'm really eager to see in the days leading up, what does that look like? What is the, what does the plan on campus and in those communities look like? 
Are most players driving? You would assume that they yeah. are if they can. Bryce Young from California, he's probably flying back to Alabama. Mm-hmm. The, you know, are his parents with him? Do they you know, go shack up at a hotel for a few days to make sure they're all okay? Do they do it for 14 days? I think, I think that's... I, I know we're moving quickly and I know we're moving positively and, and we have some optimism here, but I think that's going to be telling. And, and then once you do get those guys on... And you get the next wave going in the next wave. How in how in earnest can you really ramp up football activities? And I'll feel pretty good about it if they can get that going by by July one. If they're coming back on June eighth, yeah, right. it'll take longer than that. You know, I here's what I want to feel. Start. I mean, I feel good that there's going to be a season of some sort. I, I right. think I, I just I just don't see there's any way whether we don't see football this fall. But but having said that, we want as much football as possible, right? Everybody wants to play every single game. I will feel much more confident about a season being looking more normal as far as scheduling. I'm not talking about player or excuse me, fans being in the stands. But if we get to August one and we get through this where not a lot of players got infected and there were no major outbreaks within teams at these voluntary workouts, and you're able to start preseason camps without that. I think they're going to be in pretty good shape to start the season at a lot of places and do so healthy. Even if players do get infected, and, and they will, it's just going to happen. Um, you could still play your season opening game, but it's about, it's about contact tracing, who they've been around, and quarantining others. And things that have been discussed, for example, um, are you know in team meetings when, when the season uh, preseason camps do start. Do you have all the quarterbacks in the same room for quarterback meetings, or do you do the starting quarterback for a quick meeting and then bring in the second team quarterback and the third team quarterback? Because if your starting quarterback gets sick and he's in the same room as the other quarterbacks, they all have to be quarantined. And then all of a sudden you don't have any quarterbacks. Um, then you can't play. There's no way you can. So there, those are things that are going to have to be figured out on the fly too. But if we get to August one and we go, you know what? all these programs went through voluntary camps for the better part of a month now or half a month. And there were no major issues. I feel pretty confident that they're going to be able to get through that month in August uh, in the much of the same way, because not much is going to change as far as the setting. They're all going to be in the same space, the same place. There's going to be more players, of course, but if, if these schools can mitigate the risks during these voluntary workouts, it's almost like I said, it's an experiment for them as they ramp up. It'll get them ready in August. And then I, th- I will feel confident, confident if come August 1, we're sitting here going, there have been no major outbreaks within these teams or any issues during the voluntary workouts. I'll feel pretty good about these teams getting through August, not necessarily unscathed, but to a point where we go, we're going to see some good foot, not just see football start off week one, we're going to see some good football with star players healthy and teams with almost full rosters. Great point about good football. Get those guys in shape. And the quarterback thing is interesting and kind of amusing to me. And I'm sure we'll have plenty of time the rest of the summer to talk about how that's handled at the collegiate and the NFL level. But you can almost imagine coaches keeping QB1 and 2 separate all week. And and maybe if you really like QB1 and he doesn't need any practice, you just tell him to stay home. Last one before I send you out. Who's calling all the shots here, Brandon, as far as okay, let's separate this guy from that meeting. Let's, let's roll out this wave of players today. Let's make sure we're testing these guys. Let's, you know, all that stuff. Is that, is that coaches? Is that the, 
medical and athletic trainers, that department? Is it the ADs? Is it the conference commissioner? Who's calling the shots at all these levels? If I had to make a flow chart, like just off the top of my head right now, this is this is how it goes. All right. All right. CDC and who recommendations filters down to the conference offices. Then ultimately it's up to the schools to follow those guidelines based off of what's going on in their local areas and their states. What are the guidelines there? Are they only allowing 20 people in a space, 30 people, 10 people, 50 people? It's going to be based on local guidelines. So they'll take the recommendations of the CDC, the conference offices as a school. Those schools will tweak and make their own plans with those as guidance, uh, but also the person that's going to be like, hey, I not necessarily a final decision, but the one that kind of coordinating all of that, that's going to be the team doctor, the team physician, whatever you, whoever you want to call them, his, his group uh, or her, their group, and they're going to get together going, here are our protocols, here's where we're gonna, how we're going to handle it. Of course, they have to present to the athletic directors and everything, but it's really going to be up to them. I don't see an AD going, I don't trust your judgment, doctor, because the AD has no room to really <laughs> say anything there. They just need to figure out the logistics of it, implementing that plan, helping implement that plan, and assisting these team physicians. But ultimately, I think, you know, we always think of team doctors as, hey, is that guy, you know, when's he scheduling the MRI for so-and-so? No, these are, these are going to be pretty much doctors like we've been talking about on the front lines dealing with this and they're gonna be dealing with it every day um and for and really for the first time in their lives they're ever dealing with anything like this with an illness of any sort let alone having to worry about 85 plus players potentially having uh this virus so it's going to be a lot of hard work for these team doctors and but that's what the university's there for that's what the athletic department's there for to build a team around them to make sure they implement these protocols and they follow through. But as I said, a flow chart, CDC, who, you know, the local and state guidelines informing the team doctor and his team, his or her team, and then them implementing that and the athletic director, making sure they have everything they need to make sure to implement those plans. All right. Interesting stuff. Brandon Marcello, thanks for joining us. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. We would love a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot, helps us keep the lights on. Also, leave us a review, taking content suggestions. I've seen a few good ones recently. I promise we haven't forgotten about you. We've just had a lot of breaking news. For Brandon Marcello, for our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Trey Scott, and we'll see you on Thursday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. all-star-studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.